the job of a talent acquisition leader is actually like five or six functions put together. You're a marketing leader, do an outbound and branding. You're a sales leader, leading a team of individuals having conversations, converting candidates. You're an operations leader, like coordinating and scheduling and setting up interviews, you know, through the funnel. You're an analytics leader, trying to build up dashboards and reporting, right? Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, welcome back to We're Only Human. I've been Eubanks, your host, and really glad to have you here with us. You can't turn around, you can't read the news, you can't have a conversation without hearing about what's going on in the hiring space right now. It's a challenge unlike anything ever before, and so we keep hearing from practitioner leaders, like some of you out there listening right now, that want more content, more ideas, more insights, more innovation when it comes to hiring. And so today we're going to talk about some of the things that you might not have even known were possible in terms of innovation on the hiring side. And I'm so glad to have Teddy here with us from Bright Hire to cover this conversation and to share some ideas. Teddy, welcome. Thanks for having me, Ben. Absolutely. So before we dive into some of the fun stuff, I know the audience is like dying to hear whatever we're going to talk about because I haven't told them yet. Tell us really quickly who you are and what you do, please. So my name is Teddy Chestnut. I'm the co-founder and CRO of Bright Hire. We make lightweight interview technology that records conversations, makes them searchable and shareable. So hiring teams can work together to make the best, most confident, most fair decisions possible. And I came to this after six and a half years at LinkedIn and growing up at the corporate executive board doing HR research. So I've been in and around the talent space for a long time. Excellent. All right. So one of the things that is, is going to factor into this conversation to some degree is the importance of data and talent acquisition. Right. This is it's the lifeblood of being able to decide if we're doing the right things, if we're making the right decisions. And again, you've, you've just mentioned this background. You have a definite bent leaning towards using data. But one of the problems is when we think about the hiring process, like here we talk about what is your what's the most common metric? And it's like time to fill. So you get a, a marker at the very end and a marker at the beginning. We have no clarity about what happens in there. And one of the specific areas of that, though, is around interviews. We don't have any clue about what happens there. Talk about that a little bit, please. Yeah, look, the job of a talent acquisition leader is actually like five or six functions put together. You're a marketing leader, doing outbound and branding. You're a sales leader, leading a team of individuals having conversations, converting candidates. You're an operations leader, like coordinating and scheduling and setting up interviews, you know, through the funnel. You're an analytics leader, trying to build up you know, dashboards and reporting, right? So like you have, you're wearing all of these hats. And those are all the levers that you get to control under your own hood to create productivity and ramp to hit a hiring plan. But unlike any of those functions, recruiting is unique in that most of the work, not most of it, but a big chunk, a really important chunk, then gets handed off to another set of teams. And that work is conversations, right? And, and interestingly, that work gets done by people who have a really important, difficult job to do that aren't trained really well to do it, that aren't necessarily held accountable to doing it really well, that get to make it up as they go. And that, right, interviews, those series of conversations, 
are the activity that drive every single candidate outcome, right? Hiring decision, a candidate experience. And as a talent acquisition leader or as a recruiter, we have today literally no visibility into how those are run. We, we have a set of investments that we can make upfront, like training or interview plans or guidance and intake meeting with a hiring manager on how we should set up the conversation and how it should go. And then the back end, we get a scorecard, maybe, or we go chase it down. And that scorecard represents a whole series of interactions, but only captures like a part of it because what's the, the scorecard supposed to capture? What did that interviewer think of the candidate? But it's not going to capture a whole bunch of really important information. Did the candidate mention they have a competing offer or what questions did the candidate ask and how did we answer it? Or how did we talk about the culture or did we set the right expectations for the role? None of that, right? Zero visibility. So there's all of this tooling, all these productivity solutions for the levers that a TA leader and that team can control, right? Sourcing and screening and scheduling and branding and all that. And there's a whole bunch of data associated with that. But there has historically been effectively no tooling and no data associated with the human interactions, the conversations that ultimately drive every single one of those outcomes. The tools are like this, they're a blank sheet of paper, right? Like a, a notepad. I've got a pad right here. Right. Like that's, that's the tooling. If you can't get any, how am I supposed to get data out of something that looks like this? That's impossible. And talent acquisition is the last function in business where conversations truly drive outcomes. And yet leaders have literally no visibility to how they're run. Conversations drive outcomes and leaders have no insight into how they're done. Yeah. I thought that was worth, I thought that was worth repeating. Cause I think that's so important, not just to the today's conversation, but to the bigger picture that we we take for granted that, again, that's, that you might, it may not be a notebook, right? They may have fancy interview forms that they're filling right. out that someone's is, designed. So we have a note, we have a, so we have a sheet of paper with boxes on it. Like that's the toy. No, it's think about every other function where conversations really matter, whether that's sales, customer success, contact centers, product research, market research, every single one of those functions does the same thing. It's not rocket science. They record those conversations. They make sure that they can go back to them and review them. They can make the highlights of those conversations searchable and shareable across teams. And then you can overlay a set of analytics on top of those conversations to extract the important moments, but also identify patterns of behavior across lots of conversations that would be really difficult to, to tune into otherwise. Every single other function that's driven by conversations has applied this technology except recruiting. So it's about time. Oh, goodness. So let's talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Let's dig into some of those things you just mentioned, because I think that's so critically important. And you said it really fast, because in your head, you're like, obviously, everybody should be thinking about this and doing this. But for someone out there, they might not have caught all of the, all the buzzwords and all the concepts you just dropped there. So walk us through what you were just saying in terms of the process, using analytics, getting insight into the conversations. Talk about those kinds of things and a little more. Let's expand on that a little bit. But I think any one of those we could spend a little time on and, and really dive deep into does it matter if what sorts of things are said or does it matter if you mentioned competing offers earlier how often is that coming up totally does the person say no after the interview is over if they said they had a competing offer does that mean our offers aren't competitive like it gives you some opportunities to take an action but like this can feel like really big so break those down for you for us if you don't mind and talk about some of those aspects of it because i think i want the audience as you're talking through this to start picturing the interview process as it is and as it could be. Totally. So you could start at the, like the atomic level of a recruiter and a hiring team working together 
to sell and assess and select candidates, right? From recruiter screen through to offer conversation. And today that's gonna to be a series of conversations, a series of handoffs, and primarily a game of telephone. Recruiter has a conversation, writes down some notes, passes along, the hire manager walks in, speaks to the candidate, has never you know, spoken with that candidate before, picks up that conversation for the very first time. Then that candidate's gonna go speak to another two or three or four, or if you've got a bad process, 10 other people on the hiring team, and everybody's going to spend 30 or 45 minutes with no context about what was covered before. Maybe they've been given like the plan to follow. And at the end of that process, the hiring manager is going to come back maybe with the recruiter and try to like get their arms around what was talked about and what people thought and why. And through the process, they're also going to be trying to coordinate to make sure that they're selling that passive candidate on the mission and the opportunity and the nature of the role and that they're actually aligned on what that talk track sounds like so that they sound like they're on the same team. And it's all going to be a game of telephone. It's going to be like Slack messages back and forth, or I'm going to jump on a Zoom and, and a one-on-one, -on -one and you're the hiring manager, I'm the recruiter, and I'm going to try to replay what happened with the five candidates that I talked to earlier this week. Right, so it's all handoffs. And with Bright Hire, right, when you capture those conversations and you make them really easy to you know, search and share and pull up the highlights, now I'm a recruiter, you're my hiring manager. We walk into our standing one-on-one -on -one that we already have. It's already half an hour on the calendar. We're talking about the candidate pipeline and maybe we're working together for the first time. So I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for. We haven't quite worked together. We're still calibrating on a role. And I can bring in snippets of a couple high signal questions that I've asked the candidates along the way. We're hiring for a sales role. Tell me the kind of deals that you've managed or tell me about your closing skills. And I can literally have you look at that with me and say, yes, that's the kind of person that I'd want to spend more time with. Or no, you hear what they said there, like we should not spend more time. And so in, in that series of interactions that we're already having, we now bring real concrete substance into to help you and me get on the same page and move so much faster than we could have before. And like that, we're literally hearing this from clients that are using Bright Hire today. Uh, what it translates into is we're running fewer recruiter screens to get to a hire because we're not spinning our wheels. We know immediately what to look for, what not to look for, and we're being efficient with who we're passing through on the pipeline. That's one example, right, of a moment where like collaboration, calibration, us working together makes a massive difference in terms of speed and efficiency. And you can think about that at every step of the funnel, whether, whether that's a recruiter screen to a hiring manager handoff or in a debrief when you're a strong no and I'm a strong yes, and we're trying to make sense of that. And today it's, I don't know, let's just have them talk to somebody else versus let's go back and see what was driving that decision. And so it shows up, right? The, the, just the power of being able to go back to what happened shows up in really meaningful ways at every single step of the process. And that's not fancy analytics. That's not fancy AI. That's not like predictive or anything like that. That's just seamlessly capturing the right information and making it accessible to teams exactly when and where they need it. That's like step one. Sounds simple completely transformative for how teams work together to create a great candidate experience and make the right decisions. I talked with the, I had a chance recently to interview the chief nursing officer and the head of TA for a healthcare organization. And they talked about their relationship in the last year. And obviously again, chief nursing officer, like it's her job to make sure that they're staffed up on, on yeah. the, the clinical side. And one of the things that came away, I came away from that conversation with them together was the importance of really having strong communication. We talk about communication, but just talking at someone or sending them something doesn't mean we're communicating necessarily. And they're like, we had to be on it all the time back and forth. One of the things I'm hearing from you here 
is this isn't just about talking more or sending more messages or having a prettier form to share this information back because even in all those things it's still my perspective of that thing it's still filtered it's still a portion or a broken down version of that this allows you with that fundamental piece of the conversation to say look this is what actually happened we can debate that when we hear it back in the candidates words but it allows them to come together on the real truth, not my perspective of it or just your perception of it, but the real truth. And then we can make decisions and build our relationship if we're new to working together or just deepen that relationship. We've already worked together. We're trying to hire a new role. We have something to establish that on. It's not just, I think I'm right. Why don't you like this candidate? Or you don't, all that back and forth that we struggle right. so much trying to get these two groups together. And you use the phrase like the real truth, which on the one hand, I, I like attached to and, and feel like it makes a lot of sense because you want candidates in their own words. You, there's a difference between what I remember happened and what actually happened. So there's a huge gap. <laughs> like even like Greenhouse sends an email reminder an hour after you've run an interview to try to get you to fill out your scorecard. And the little reminder says, hey, it's been an hour. You've already forgotten like 44% of what happened in that interview. So there's a massive gap between perception, memory, recall, and truth. And yet, we, you and I could look at the same exact candidate response, or we could look at the same way that, that I asked a question and see something very different than that. Like, there isn't actually one truth. There can be multiple truths. This is why we build diverse interview panels. This is why you have people talk to multiple folks along the way, especially if we're thinking about bringing people onto the team who have nonlinear backgrounds, non-traditional experiences, we need to create space for people to see potential in candidates. And that's really difficult to do if you only get one set of eyes on that candidate. And so one of the really powerful things about Bright Hire is the ability, it enables the ability for teams to really efficiently triangulate perspectives, check their first impressions, get a second opinion. Again, that sounds really simple. It's what we're already trying to do when we set up five or six or eight or 10 interviews, which we shouldn't do. But the thrust is, I get it, which is I want a couple of different people to get their eyes on this candidate and give an opinion because they have different backgrounds, different experiences, they'll interpret it in different ways. Now we can do that really efficiently and we can do it based on seeing the same things. Not you had your half an hour and the candidate showed up with me and they were in a different place or I hadn't had my coffee yet. And so I see something very different and now we're trying to reconcile that. Like, cool, we can both see both of those conversations and triangulate in a really meaningful way. Again, it's not rocket science, but it's, but it's really transformative for decision making. One of the things you mentioned a second ago was building diverse interview panels and trying to think about that lens. And that's one of the things that you and I talked about in a previous conversation that I was really intrigued by is mm -hmm. that this, because we think about solving for diversity or solving for inclusion in the hiring process. Let's make sure our job postings are appealing to anyone, right? To, to male, female, or let's make sure that this thing over here is doing the right thing. We're not down selecting the wrong way, but this gives us a chance to see what's actually happening in the conversations because anecdotally, I'll say that in the past, when I had, when I would have a diverse slate of candidates, the interview was where they would sometimes fall out and in a, in a higher rate. It might not be that they're actually not qualified. It might be how the interview goes. And in those instances, I couldn't actually see what was happening. And so talk, you actually have the ability to start showing some of those kind of insights and surfacing. Did you realize this happened in that interview that could yeah. allow companies to actually take action? Talk about some of those kind of insights, please. 
Yeah, part of it, as you described, is like this particular instance, somebody develops a perception and now we can get a second set of eyes on it to, to qualify that and, and gut check it. And there are well-known biases associated with interviewing and hiring, like affect bias or recency bias or anchoring like halo effect. So if I think you're great at one thing, I think you're going to be great at lots of things. All of that can completely color an impression of a candidate over the course of an interview. And you can train some of that out, right? You can try to train people to be at least aware of their own biases so that, for example, if I think that you're amazing two minutes into the interview, I should spend most of the rest of the interview trying to convince myself that you aren't in some way. I got to like level that out. So there are important techniques that can be trained, but again, it's really hard to do when it's super fuzzy and based on recall memory. But then there are things that are like literally impossible to see today because the data doesn't exist. So let's take now all of our interviews and let's say we're, we've got a pipeline for software engineers and we're trying to improve gender diversity on the team. It's probably pretty important for us to know if there are fundamental differences in the ways that we interview male and female candidates. Do we ask them the same questions consistently? Do they ask us the same questions consistently? Do they have similar or different concerns about the role or the culture? Do we help one group more on their technical screens than others? Like we literally, people aren't even asking those questions today because getting to the answers is impossible. Again, it's not in scorecard feedback. It's certainly not in the ATS. It's in the interaction. And that interaction happens and disappears. And so by capturing that and then being able to overlay a set of analytics, I'm like, what happened? And break that down, whether that's by gender or by racial or ethnic background or applicants versus referrals, we can now start to see patterns of behavior across how, how we interview with different groups that can illuminate um, you know, things that certainly warrant further exploration. Never to say that we see a pattern and we know this is good or this is bad, because there's always a lot of context around it. But if you're really trying to solve a problem, building gender diversity on an engineering team, it's pretty helpful to understand what's going on with you know, female engineers when you're interviewing them versus men. I have a funny comment on that because years ago we were hiring for a security officer and we, we, during the second round, we brought in some people who would be on the team interfacing with them a lot after they'd already had a thumbs up from who would be their boss. They brought them in for a second round. And I still remember one of the, one of the women in the room on her interview form, she didn't, she marked hardly anything about the qualifications of the person or what she thought or anything else. It wasn't her job to qualify her, but it was just like, do I think she has the right personality to work with us? Things like that. But one of the comments that I still remember all these years later was, did you see those shoes? And that was her comment on the interview form. And I'm like, those kinds of things I got, I had a conversation with her after that. That's number one, that's record. That's going in the record forever. So yeah. Don't like right. But that doesn't help us make a better decision. And your whole, right. the whole reason we asked you and paid you for your time to be in this conversation was so that you could help us make a better and more accurate decision. And as you said a minute ago, that a lot of companies say, well, the answer to this is let's add just one more person's perspective in here. We'll try to get a closer approximation of what reality is, but just adding in more and more perspectives. And number one today, that drags the process out. It makes it more onerous for that person. Be careful with that. But number two, it doesn't actually solve, in that case, it didn't actually solve the problem we were trying to solve by adding someone else into the mix. It also, there's a third part, which is it doesn't create a learning opportunity for that. So to be able to actually go back and review your own interview or to have somebody else review your interview or to see some, how somebody else asked a question and what a great answer sounded like, like I've interviewed for lots of roles 
yeah, in the course of my career where I felt like woefully unprepared as an interviewer. Like I moved from a quota carrying role at LinkedIn to leading a 35 person data analytics team. And I was hiring leadership roles for that team. Man, like I wish I could have seen the interviews that had fed, you know, in, that had led to the other leaders on that team being hired. What was asked? What, what did great sound like? What did they test for? I was like thrown in the mix, go hire somebody. And so I don't get any of that learning opportunity to get really confident at making great hiring decisions. And if you think about ultimately people's aspirations to be great people leaders, the most important thing that you're going to do is hire, get the right people on the bus. And so the most important thing you can learn how to do really well is interview. And like part of interviewing, yes, you can learn in a classroom, in a training session, how do you ask follow-up questions? How do you check your bias? But there's a whole set of interviewing around like, how do I interpret an answer and what does great sound like? Like you got to learn on the job and we can help people do that really fast. Yes. The thing that's, that might be the most exciting part for me after seeing what, what you and the team are up to is it's not just saying what answer is best, but that depends on the role that depends on the team. There's all, there's a hundred variables that could influence what answer sounds best to this question in this moment. And someone just giving you that broad training, listen for this. That's generally yeah. helpful, but I'll say, give you a, yeah, go for it. Kind of a great, example, great example. The CMO of one of our clients had a candidate go through a panel. She, like you, she was positive on the candidate. One of the folks on her team came back and was like a strong no, like double thumbs down. And the feedback was, I was supposed to test for humility. That was the you know, core competency, the characteristic, the trait that I was testing for. And I don't think she has it. And the CMO was like, huh. That didn't come up in my interview at all. I actually felt quite the opposite. Absent being able to go back to the concrete example. Now we're just in a he said, she said. Right now we're like, we'll have somebody else test on humility and see what happens. But in this instance, CMO jumped back into that interview and saw the moment where that interview spoke to the candidate and said, okay, here's the job description, right? And here's the key criteria for the job description. Which of these things do you think you're really going to struggle with? And the candidate said, candidly, I've done all those things. Like, I think I can really do all of them. And it was on the basis of that interaction that the interviewer said, no humility, double thumbs down. Now the CMO said, hey, I think the way that you asked that question, like you asked her which of these things she's not gonna be able to do, and she's done all of them. I think that's actually a perfectly reasonable answer. If you're really trying to get to humility, you gotta reframe that question in a different way. But I feel confident make, moving forward on this so she makes that hire. That candidate gets a job that she wouldn't have otherwise. That interviewer gets a coaching moment, right, on how to test for humility in a productive way that she never would have gotten otherwise. And the recruiter on that role is now not going back and sourcing, screening, and scheduling from the beginning of the pipeline because at the last minute we said no to a candidate that we should have said yes to. All literally in a maybe 45 second exchange that otherwise, again, disappears. Yes. Wow. That, that, that is the power of being able to capture context, share it across a team, review it and triangulate on it. And sometimes folks are like, I don't know, is anybody going to spend the time? Like, is it going to be more time? And the reality is like that CMO wants to make that hire. She's going to talk to that interviewer anyway about that interviewer's feedback. Yes. So we're not adding more time. We're just yes. saying hey, in that conversation, I'm going to pull this up. We're going to look at it together. And now we've created all this value around that simple exchange. Again, that's not fancy AI. That's not like super fancy analytics. That's just 
being seamless in the workflow and bringing the right context into the moments that really matter. You mentioned a, a phrase earlier, you said high signal question. And in this example, for those in the audience that might not have caught that, that's a question that seems to be a high predictor of whether this person can be able to do the job or not. Is that right? I won't put words in yeah, your mouth. Exactly, exactly. I'll give you a great example. In the very, very early days of Bright Hire, like Ben and I didn't have tech, I, I have no technical background, uh, even though I led a data analytics team. Like I've never written a line of code in my life. Ben has a little we bit We won't more. tell anyone. But yeah, I, I've never claimed to know to be able to write codes. No false representation there. Ben, my, my co-founder, had more experience there. But like I was running recruiter screens for full stack engineers. <laughs> you know, and it turned out that one of the really important questions to ask somebody was really if you were skewed more back end or front end, like where do you really skew? Like to really push them on whether they were full stack or not. Because people would give you an answer. I could even give them like a scale, like on a scale of one to 10, where one is back end and 10 is front end. Where do you take? And I didn't ask that question in a couple instances and I passed candidates along and it turned out that they weren't really full stack. They were really like back end or they were really front end. And finding somebody who's, I'm a five, I'm a six. That was actually a pretty high signal question for what we were testing for in that moment. And, you know, I wouldn't have learned that without visibility into the subsequent conversations. And so we redesigned exactly how we ran those screens to ask that specific question. Now, sometimes the answer to that question is a little bit less black and white than five or six. And so then I want to take that answer and want to share it with the next person in the process to get their read on it. So that's a good example of a, a really important question that you can bring it early into the process to make sure that you're being super efficient with your time, right? You have the right conversion rates. I wanted to bring that up because I'm thinking like we've, we've talked about all these different things about the interviews and everything else. And you spend all of your time every day thinking about interviews, right? This is still just a segment, <laughs> even for recruiters, it's still a segment of their time. So I was trying to think of other ideas and things to share back with them to make sure as you're thinking about your interviews, recruiters and HR leaders out there, especially right now, Make sure you have some of those high signal questions. Every question can't be like the most important question, but pick a couple that you've found to be predictive of someone's ability to do that job. Cause that's a great recommendation from Teddy. So this has been incredible. If someone wants to know more about Bright Hire, wants to connect with you, I'll make sure you get some links into the show notes, but what's the yeah. best way for them to do that? Brighthire.ai is the website. It's pretty straightforward. I'm Teddy at brighthire.ai. So you want to, shoot me an email or you find me on LinkedIn, make a connection request. I'm happy to take all comers. One thing that you get really used to when you're building a, not just a new company, but a new category is evangelizing. <laughs> we got to be out and talking about what we're building in the market all the time. Uh, there was a great piece in ERE actually published this morning about how we are creating a new category of technology in the market. And yeah, we're, we take all comers all the time. I'd love to talk, hiring, interviewing, and especially... And this is one of the reasons I founded Bright Hire and get really excited about it, like elevating the discipline of recruiting excellence, which is not just for recruiters, right? It's for everybody. Anybody who's a hiring manager and interviewer is, is participatory in recruiting excellence. But if you were to Google search for like sales excellence, you're going to get like 10,000 results, books, methodologies, speakers, coaching, training. If you Google recruiting excellence right now, nothing, which is insane because it's a discipline. It's maybe the most important discipline for the future of every business. There are real tactics and techniques that can elicit more signal or improve close rates or ensure we're delivering a great candidate experience. Like it deserves to be a discipline. And one of the really exciting things about what we're doing is cap, you know, we captured 
tens and tens of thousands of interviews, you start to get to understand like what works, right? What actually leads to better results. And so to turn that, to codify that into a discipline and to help elevate this really important set of conversations, again, not just recruiters, interviewers, hiring managers, everybody involved in every candidate conversation to bring those up to the next level is massively valuable for teams, but also like super valuable for candidates. To be on the receiving end of a conversation that's super well-structured and thoughtful and professional and where you dig deeply for motivations and you're looking for the right fit and you know, all, and then you're able to give really concrete feedback to those folks that you ask the right things and you remember what happened. Our first value as a company is put candidates first. And so I think if we can really elevate this function, it's going to serve not just companies, but candidates too. I'm super pumped about that. That's so funny because I was going to ask you if there, if there was like one last piece of advice you were going to give. And I, I feel like that's it. Like it is our, this is our chance right now. Yeah, okay. Like the one, spotlight's on talent acquisition. That is, now is the chance. I'll give one tactical piece of advice along those lines. One of the very earliest believers in Bright Hire ever, way back before we'd written a line of code, was a senior technical lead, uh, technical recruiting lead, and now one of our clients, Top Tell. And he talked about a 30 second interaction that he was getting all the time in candidate conversations that could be, that could dictate whether or not those candidates would proceed. And that's, they would say, Will, I've got to, I want to just, I want to let you know, I'm in the late stages of a, of a process right now and I've got a competing offer. How often does that come up? Awesome. And how we, hand, how we handle that moment can make or break whether we move a candidate forward, whether they opt into the process or not. And he said, one thing that I realized that I was doing that nobody else on my team was doing was I would hear that, hey, I just want to let you know I've got a competing offer. I'd pause and say, that's amazing. Why wouldn't you take it? And then sit quietly like I just did yes. for a little bit. And then just, they would just start to describe, I, it's a long, not these days, it's a long commute, or it doesn't, I'm not sure that the growth opportunity or whatever the reason, but you're putting the power on them. And now you're gathering all this information that you can sell against. And that moment, that 20 second interaction, again, can be the difference between gathering a bunch of intelligence about that candidate that you can then sell back against and convert them through the funnel, or they're gone and you're back to the beginning. And to be able to capture a moment like that and then see like, how often is a candidate saying they have a competing offer? And what do we say? Do we ask a question? Do we give a response? Do we ask them why they wouldn't take it? And which one of those responses actually leads to higher close rates? Right. That's really cool. So that's my tactical advice is, if somebody tells you they have a competing offer, which I have to imagine at least, I don't know, half of candidates, so three quarters of candidates have these days, just ask them why they wouldn't take it. I have a good friend who's head of TA for a, a research organization. And that was one of the things she told me recently. She said, basically, I expect a counter every time or some kind of other negotiation every time we're doing an offer these days because mm -hmm. it's so such a challenging environment. She said, so now she set that expectation with hire managers with the recruiters. When that comes in, don't act surprised. Like, here's the steps you take. Here's what you say to them. And it sounds like he had that kind of systematized process too for here's how you respond to that. So it becomes a win opportunity instead of a let's write them off and, and move on to the next candidate. And how do you scale that? Not just on a recruiting team, but every interviewer, every hiring manager involved in a process, right? People who get hired into the company and then three weeks later, it's like turning around and okay, now you're building with us and you're now responsible for hiring also. How do you drive that excellence? Again, that's not like, you can't train, you can't scale training for that. You can't 
scale one-on-one coaching. We've got to create visibility systematically into those interactions so you can see what's happening and then you can influence. Excellent. Wonderful. Teddy, this has been so much fun. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I've got some tremendous notes and ideas and suggestions and other things like I, I can't wait to go and explore after we're done here. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, for sharing your expertise. And again, I'll make sure and get the links in the show notes so that people can reach back out and, and connect with you and the team. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Everybody else out there, it's a tough space. We all know it in the hiring market right now. Hang tight. You got some good ideas, some good suggestions today, some safe strategies to keep those candidates in your pipeline. Hope you enjoyed the episode today with Teddy. We'll catch you again next time on We Are Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 